well, one night a husband and wife were watching TV, and the wife said to the husband, I'm tired, it's getting late, I think I'll go to bed. And then she went to the kitchen, she made lunches for the next day, she rinsed out the popcorn bowls, she took meat out of the freezer for dinner tomorrow night, then she got out the cereal box and she put the spoons and the bowls on the table, she started the coffee to brew. She went to the laundry room, she got some wet clothes, she put them in the dryer, she put a new load into the washer, she ironed a shirt, she sewed on a button, she picked up some papers that were on the floor and some game pieces off the table and emptied the dishwasher. Then she watered plants, she emptied the trash, she hung up a towel, she yawned and she stretched and uh, she uh, went to her bedroom. But on her way, she stopped off and she wrote a note to the teacher. She got some money for a field trip tomorrow and she pulled the textbook out that had been hiding underneath the chair. Uh, then she wrote uh, a birthday card and she put some things on her grocery list. Then she went to wash her face, she put on moisturizer, she trimmed her nails and brushed and flossed her teeth. At that point, her husband said, I thought you were going to bed. And she said, I'm on my way. Well, then she wandered by the kids' rooms, right? And she decided to look on them, look in on them. One of them, she turned off a lamp. The next one, she hung up a shirt. The third one, she went and put, you know, socks in the hamper. And she talked to the one who was still doing their homework that night. Back in her own room, she set her alarm, laid out her clothes, organized the shoes on her shoe rack, and then she uh, put three things on her to-do list. At that point, her husband got up, turned off the TV, and said, I'm going to bed, and he did. <laughs> well, I share that with you, not because we want to think of our husbands as big loaves, because frankly, I would way rather have my backpack than his, wouldn't you? I mean, wow. He has the responsibility of standing before the Lord one day and answering for providing for our family and leading us well. I don't want that backpack. I would rather do all the things on this list than the backpack. And uh, anyway, this is to remind us of the ultimately insane, almost universal, uh, okay, something's happening. The almost universal, is that better? The almost universal way that we go to bed at night, right? If, if I actually ask you, you might have not the exact same thing a lot of you. Okay. You want to come help me? <laughs> I can hear it and then I assume you can hear it too. Okay. It's my pack. Awesome. Excuse us. Okay. Is that any better? Well, we'll have to go for a while probably to find out, right? Anyway, what we want to remember from this story is the insane way that we go to bed at night and the insane amount of work that comes barreling down on us, whether we've been working hard yesterday, last night, even this morning, it's always coming. It's always barreling down on us day after day after day. There is always more to do. But hopefully our trip through Proverbs 31 today will help us to come up with the right kind of work in the right way with the right heart and hopefully with the right outcome on the other side, because that's what we really want, right? We're all going to do work. Everybody's going to do work. Let's just do the right kind. So let's look at our passage for today, which is Proverbs 31. We're going to do verses 13 to verses 19. That's where we're going to go, and I'm going to warn you right now that you're going to probably want to put a bookmark in there, because I'm going to take you. This is Compass Bible Church, right? Yeah. I'm going to take you to quite a few places. Not enough that I put them on the screen, so it's sword drill time, okay? That's what it's going to be today. Anyway, uh, verse 13. Start by reading the passage. It says, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while well as yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. 
She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Now our task today is going to be weave all those weird images. Like you're going, hello, what does that, what in the world does that mean? I don't know what to do now. Well, we're going to weave all that together, hopefully, so that you can leave here and not let the 168 hours that God is going to give you this week slip through your fingers without a thought to how effective you are living them and how effective you are working for the Lord. So let's look at Proverbs 31 at the template of, and see if we can learn how to work like she did. Okay? That's what we want to do. Work like she did. Now, I have to be honest. There are lots of things here that don't make any sense to 21st century America. We have no idea what this is. So first, let me take my earring off. There's something that we should do first. Then, okay, we're going to take all the little pieces. Are we done with all the housework? Are we ready? Okay. All right. We're going to sort all the little pieces and we're going to put them into four big buckets, okay? And they're going to, I'm just going to warn you, they're scattered all around, okay? So you're going to have to go with me. This phrase here, that phrase there, but we're going to put in four meaningful buckets so that you can walk out of here going, I can do those four things. I may not have my hand on the distaff or the spindle, but I know what I'm supposed to do, okay? So the first is so obvious, right? This lady works hard, right? Our first point is going to be we need to work like, I'm going to call her P31, by the way. P31. We want to work like P31, okay? So we need to work diligently. Work diligently. Okay? Work diligently. Now, the dictionary defines diligence as being constant in our efforts to accomplish something. Being attentive and persistent in our work. I'll say that again. Diligence is being constant in our efforts to accomplish something. Being attentive and persistent at our work. So how did she do it? Well, most of this truth is in 13, 14, and 19. 13 says, she seeks wool and flax. The word seeks, it means to go after, to make careful search for something. And she's doing that with wool and flax. Well, wool and flax were the raw materials that she used to make clothes. Okay? Wool, of course, you know, comes from sheep. But it has to be sheared, weighed, combed, washed, spun into thread, weaved into fabric, and sewn into clothes. That's what you do with wool. Flax, on the other hand, is a plant material. It has to be gathered, measured, soaked, dried. The bark has to be removed. The fibers have to be arranged. It has to be weaved into fabric and sewn into clothes. All that to say it's super labor-intensive. Incredibly labor-intensive just to get a shirt on your back and on the backs of every person in your family. She did a lot of work. Okay, verse 14 says, she is like the ships of the merchant and brings her food from afar. This gal traveled far and wide to feed her family. She didn't slap any old thing down on the table. Nope. She puts thought and effort into feeding her family. They aren't eating a rotating diet of Taco Bell, In-N-Out, or even Panera. Okay? She, she is thinking about how to provide well for her family. It's the image, actually, of a lioness going out and hunting for prey, which takes effort to do that. Again, way more effort than us walking into the State of Brothers or Ralph's this week. I mean, she has to actually go out and get the food from way far away. It's not in the little packages that we get. We especially love Costco packages, right? Because it's all there for us. But 
Verse 19 then says, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Okay, these are tools for spinning thread and weaving cloth. This gal, she's ready to get her hands dirty. She is doing the manual labor to care for her family. All these things, I hope you can see, paint a picture of a diligent woman who works really hard, even with her hands and everything. Okay. Now, the four buckets of good work ethic, I thought, were going to be helpful. But then I realized, you know, a lot of people poo-poo the Proverbs 31 woman. There's a something you won't hear on the stage, poo-poo. Anyway, because <laughs> we say she is the ideal woman. You know, she's fake, right? And Stephanie talked to us about that. I thought that was so great that you brought that up. Thank you so much for saying that. She was a real woman. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you, for each one of these, a real example from your Bible of someone, a woman in the Bible who shows this characteristic. So you have something to grab onto. For this woman, you probably, some of you, if you had to take a guess, you would pick the one I'm thinking of, and her name is Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth with me, and we're going to just look each one, and we're going to look at one woman briefly, okay? Let me tell you, as you're going to Ruth, a little bit about her. You got to remember, she has just willingly left her home, her family, her culture, and her religion to go to Bethlehem, uh, to a country that is not her own, with her mother-in-law, who, by the way, is a piece of work. Oh, God, may I never be like Naomi in my new mother-in-law job. <laughs> she is a piece of work. She says, when she walks back into town, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me, right? That's what she says. And she goes on to tell everyone that uh, when I left this place, I was full. I had a husband. I had two sons. Now I have nothing. Who's standing next to her? <laughs> right? There's Ruth. She's incredibly loyal. We, saw, we see that in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, which is where you're going to start, chapter 2, verse 2, we're going to see how incredibly diligent she is. And we're only going to share a couple verses. Ruth 2.2. 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. On to verse 3. So she set out, and she went, and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. Okay, down to the middle of verse 7. She has continued, this is describing her, she has continued from early morning until night except for a short rest, someone said of her. Down to 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned. Finally, on to 23. She's gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Yes, Ruth is the quintessential hard-working woman. She sees a need. The need was, we have no food. <laughs> Someone needs to provide. Here's Naomi, disgruntled in the corner. We have to actually have food. I better go out and do something about it. No one told her to do it. She initiated. She went out. She grabbed it. Okay? She doesn't just work for, a, you know, kind of a little while and, you know, kind of, well, we'll just kind of get to it. No, she works all day. She takes very little breaks, we just read here. She works not just one season, she works multiple seasons. This woman is diligent. She's committed to the task. So what are the qualities? Remember I said sword drill. Are you ready? Proverbs 6. What are the qualities? Turn to Proverbs 6 with me. What are the qualities of a diligent woman? Right? What are the qualities of the diligent woman? She's diligent, but what do we do? How do we become a diligent woman? Well, in Proverbs 6, our next passage, Solomon is going to tell us that our best Best model is the ant for being a hardworking person. Be like the ant. And Proverbs 6, verse 6, 
Solomon is going to tell us to look to the ant. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I can see... I, I did a message where I found eight things in this passage, but I can see three, just really quick, that you can see right here. Three quick things the ant teaches us. First, initiate. Initiate. The ants initiate. They don't wait for someone to tell them what to do. Next, the ants have a plan. They prepare during the summer. They prepare in the harvest. They're working a plan. And third, they're not lazy. The third thing I see about the ants is they're not lazy. They get to work. There is no questions asked. There is no obstacle. And you know this because you've seen ants at your house, right? There is no obstacle that they will not overcome to get to what they want, right? So they initiate, they plan, and they're not lazy. Boom, right there. We got three things we could work on just right there. So how are we going to initiate, plan, and work? Remember you said you wanted those to-do lists? I got so many today. Um, four, right here. There's four in this one. The first one, this is what, what can you do, right? How can you be diligent? First is, number one, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Okay, if you live in the real world, all you have to do is open your eyes and look around. Your job, your cubicle, your bedroom, your house, your kitchen, your garage, and there's some place to start. Is there not some place to start? Start someplace. Things are literally screaming for your attention. Just start someplace, okay? Don't wait until someone comes over to empty the dishwasher. Don't wait until there's no clothes before you put a load in, right? Start somewhere, get going, and you're going to find that when you initiate, there's actually a sense of satisfaction, that there's some order in your life, okay? Initiate, start somewhere, okay? Next one is work a plan. Work a plan. We said that the ant had a plan. She worked with the seasons. We're going to need a little more structure than that. Mm, it's fall. What should I do? I don't know. The ants know what to do. I don't know what to do. I need more structure. So here's my humble advice for you on starting a plan. Make a to-do list every day. Make a to-do list every day. I mean, this, this is under the plan part. This is not another one. This is my application of under the plan part. Make a to-do list. Now, if you're the average person, you could probably do five or six things on that to-do list every day beyond what you, you know, all the other stuff that's scheduled in. Now, you know, your hard chargers, you're doing eight to ten. Awesome. I love you. Okay? If you have little littles, two to three. Come on. If you can do two to three things on that to-do list today, you should be praising the Lord and going, yes. But it's a season. Right now you're doing two to three. You're going to get to the five to six, eight to ten some other day. Not right now. You need to look at your schedule, your family schedule, and you need to decide a few things that you will do before your head hits the pillow. Not that you could do, but that you will do before your head hits the pillow tonight. That's what you're putting on your little to-do list. I'd put it on post-it notes. <laughs> or my phone, or my calendar. But just a few things that you're going to do. Now, I personally, I think it's kind of cheating to put the things on it that are given, right? Like I don't put, take a shower, <laughs> or feed my kids. Those don't make it because 
I can't stand it if I can't take a shower. And my kids are going to let me know that they haven't been fed. I'm never going to forget that one. So I'm usually putting more important things than that on it. Um, one of the things you could put on your to-do list, and I think the Proverbs 31 woman would teach us this, is some kind of, during the week, some kind of meal planning. Otherwise, you will be like everybody else at 5 o'clock, <gasps> paralyzed in the kitchen. And like, oh, what are we going to eat? Okay, another run through Taco Bell, right? That's what you're going to be. So, I mean, this is something that could end up on your to-do list. Just 15 minutes is all it would take for you to think through a couple meals. I mean, how many of you are home every night? You're not. All you need is to plan a couple meals. Get them on the calendar, get them on the grocery list, okay? That's something that would go on your to-do list. Something like going to the dry cleaners. That could go on your to-do list. Maybe making an a doctor's appointment. Maybe getting all the laundry done. Maybe, maybe going through the closets. Because sometimes those to-dos are big ones. You know, I, I don't know what goes on your to-do list today. Sometimes it's get rid of all the clothes that are too small for my kids. You know, sometimes you have to have that on your to-do list. But you're going to put a few of them on there every day. I also put them in order. Okay, well, I cheat, though, because I can't think of them in order. Do you, can you think of them in order? I can't. So I just write the list, and then I leave a space next to it, and it, you know, I number them. So it's three, one, four, two, eight, seven, whatever, right? But then I do them in that order. So I write on my to-do list as the day goes on, even if I have to, and just change the numbers. And then at the end of the day, if you haven't finished... Number seven and eight, I'm aiming high for you. Number seven and eight on your list, you haven't finished them, they go on tomorrow's to-do list, okay? We'll just work a plan. It's not rocket science. Just start doing something there, okay. My third tip is power through a task until it's done. Power through a task until it's done. And for this one, I want you to think of the refrigerator room at Costco, okay? <laughs> now... Those strawberries are just out of reach, man. They're just like right there. I have to cross over into the refrigerated section. But let me tell you, the celery, it's like it might as well be at the tech booth. You know, it is way back there. But somehow, by the time I leave Costco, you know what? Everything's in my cart. You know why? Because I put my head down, I grit my teeth, and I get through it. There is no dilly-dallying. I do not stand there. I cannot go in the refrigerated room. <laughs> I just do it. I mean, you're in and out. You complete your mission. That's the way you need to look at working until it's done. Complete your mission. OK, my last little helpful tidbit, to-do list, whatever you want to call it, is that we need to always schedule work and rest. Always schedule work and rest. The Fabaras family, we're kind of worker bees, every single one of us. And even those who aren't, we force to be worker bees. Um, but then don't you think, where would they be if they didn't have the worker bees that they have around them, right? Okay, anyway, we always do our work first. So, you know, they can't watch that show, or they can't, you know, read that book, or they can't chat with that friend until the work is done. We even do it with homework. You do your homework first. Every day they came home from school, we did their homework first. Now, at our house, we always wanted to make sure there was rest built into it, though. So they each had a timer. Well, I did that, because... <laughs> I'm thinking when they were little. Of course, you would never do that now, right? You just take out your phone. But uh, we had, you know, Mickey Mouse timer. And um, we would set it for 50 minutes, five zero, five zero minutes, five zero minutes. 
And then the last 10 minutes of every hour was theirs to do what they wanted with it. They could get a snack, they could shoot baskets, they could watch TV, they could call a friend. No questions asked. 10 minute break. And then back at it, 50 minutes, 10 minutes. 50 minutes, 10 minutes. In a week, you need to be planning out times that you're going to have to rest. It might not be a day for you. There's, I mean, if you're a mom in here, there, I don't know when was, today is your first day off in I don't know how long. Um, if you're a mom, but even if it's a few hours, plan some rest time. You need to recharge your batteries. Even in your marriage, that's why we have date nights, because you're recharging your marriage, taking out from all the regular stuff and taking time away to rest and recharge. You're going to be more productive. Now, we need to be more diligent. We do not ever want to resemble this guy. This guy, and if you have kids under 13, you know exactly who I'm talking about. If you have never seen this, you have got to go get this clip. Especially after this message, you will laugh hysterically. This is the sloth. And poor Judy, Officer Judy, she walks into the DMV only to find that every employee at the DMV is a sloth. <sighs> Now the sloths, this is Zootopia, and, and the sloths, you know, for type A's like me, I mean, I'm like, oh, oh, banging my head against the wall. And you know, if you work at the DMV, we love you, and we just pray that you will multiply. Because, you know, uh, Officer Judy goes in there, that's the rabbit, Officer Judy goes in there to get a plate run at the DMV for something she's doing in Zootopia, and there's the sloth typing in each number with his claw one at a time and you will love it. You will get the best laugh if you would just look this up. It's a four minute clip Zootopia sloth at the DMV. You will not, not regret doing that. We need to aim higher ladies than the sloth at the DMV, okay? Because here's the thing, it makes for a good laugh. I mean, it'll get your, you'll have a belly laugh, I promise you, especially if you're in a room with other retreaters giggling together. It's always more fun to laugh together, but it's not funny when it's our husbands and our children and our ministries that suffer because we're like this. That is not funny at all. So we need to work diligently. That's what P31 would do. Okay, let's get back to her. She obviously worked harder, uh, but she also works smarter, and that is not the number two, just so you know. She is not a drone. She does not go mindlessly from task to task. No, she thinks it through, and that's what we're going to learn. And point number two, we are going to work wisely is the blank. Work wisely. We don't want to just be busy. We want to be busy about the right things. Wisdom, of course, um, it's been defined probably for you many times at our church, but wisdom is the skill of living life. It's the skill of living life, being wise. It's the skill of living life. It's not amassing information. It's using that information to live in the real world in the right way. So it's the skill of living life. Um, there's plenty for us to do out there. You know, too much, in fact, right? So we have to decide what to do because there's so many good opportunities. We don't want to end up on the other side and realize we've invested our hours in the wrong way just because we were busy. We want to work smarter. Okay, Proverbs 31 is going to show us how to do it, and here's a bunch of little pieces. Starting on the second half of verse 15 is the first one. It says, she provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. This 
gal thoughtfully gives each of her employees, that's her maidens, her employees a share of the household stuff. That means food, rewards, and responsibilities. And, you know, you think I don't have any employees. If you got kids, you got employees. (laughs) You got a staff at your ready. And if you don't think of them that way, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. No, and I'm not kidding. That is true. This is part of your job, is to help them to be good workers. Um... Yeah, I mean, they should be sorting socks and, you know, emptying the spoons out of the dishwasher from two and three years old. There's no reason they can't be. So she manages her staff well. She's delegating. This gal is giving instructions. She knows the people on her staff, her employees, her kids, and she gives them instructions and she gives them responsibilities. She's a delegator. That's what this lady is, okay? She doesn't just apply her wisdom to her house either. In verse 16 it says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She considers. That means that she does her homework. And after she carefully plans, she determines the best investments to make. And if there's a return, it goes back into the business again, so to speak. She takes what she's gotten and puts it back in. This lady is not just a pretty face. She's a smart cookie. And uh, then verse 18 says that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. P31, she weighs her options, and before she makes a decision, she she doesn't just fly by the seat of her pants, which a lot of us like to. We think we're so busy because we're just running around like that, but that's not the way the Proverbs 31 works. She makes thoughtful decisions. She also, the implication of here perceiving that her merchandise is profitable, it reminds us that she has a teachable heart too. She makes adjustments when necessary. It's like trial and error, but she does change things up if stuff isn't working. She's not just, you know, going from one thing to the next. So where do we go for this one? Well, in our Bibles, I thought the best bet was to go to compare two sisters. Two sisters you've studied before. In Luke 10, we're going to look at Mary and Martha, but remember, hold your place in Proverbs. We're coming back. Luke 10. And let me remind you that in our lives, most of our choices are not between good and bad, but better and best. You're not going to decide to rob a bank or go to Bible study this week. It's not going to happen, right? There are, you know, so many good options. We just have to decide what's the best option, right? Uh, We all want to make the right decision. Should we volunteer at Focal Point? Should we work in NAVMO? Should I make a meal from scratch? Or should I make it semi-homemade? which I have to laugh because my, I said, told my husband, this isn't even on it, but I told my husband I was making spaghetti meatballs this week, and he pour, saw me pour the Costco meatballs into the crock pot. He goes, wow, I thought I was going to watch you make meatballs. <laughs> I'm like, I am making meatballs. I am making meatballs and letting them soak all day long in that sauce so that I can do this work right now that I'm going to be doing on Saturday morning. So that's how we're making meatballs, right? You just, you have to choose. The funny thing is he's never known that that's how he made meatballs. Forever! He's, I don't know what he's picturing, me making the... I don't even know what goes in a meatball. Breadcrumbs or something? That's what's supposed to stick it together? I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Costco bag. That's what goes in the meatballs. (laughs) All right. Anyway, all that to say, do you make them from scratch or semi-homemade? I don't know. You decide. But most choices are between better and best. You're at Mary and Martha now, I hope. Verse 28, or 38, sorry, says... 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care about my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, both of these gals loved Jesus fully, completely. But one of them pleased the Lord that day, and one of them didn't. And the reason why one of them pleased the Lord was because they picked something that mattered. They picked the wise thing. And the other one, no matter how many tasks, no matter how many to-dos she could cross off that day, she did not please the Lord because of her choices. It reminds me of when we first started Compass. It was in the days when we didn't have many programs. I know you can't imagine that. But there were days 13 years ago when we didn't have many programs and we had like two pastors. In those days, um, we felt it was really important because our church was growing and growing for us to have, try to have everyone imaginable walk through the doors of our house. Um, Some of you remember those days. And... uh, Afterwards, each time, uh, we would debrief. Mike and I would sit down, we'd talk about what worked and what didn't work. You know, was it the right food? You know, uh, I don't want you to use paper plates anymore. Um, And uh, spa water. I think we're going to do spa water, which has become a staple for the last 13 years. Anyway, those kinds of things. But the most important debrief that we ever did was when we would talk about what was our interaction like with the people that came. And um, he would say to me something like, you know, did you talk to so-and-so? And I'd say to him, oh, how is so-and-so doing? And much to our sadness and conviction, on more than one occasion, you know what we discovered? With all the people we had walking through our house, some of them we never actually had a conversation with. It was heartbreaking to realize, you mean you didn't chat with that family? You mean you never talked to that gal? And she was in our home? right? God is so good because he helps us see from our mistakes and he shows us through his wisdom things that we need to do. And the things that we changed after that is instead of having, you're going to laugh at this, but instead of having like 15 couples at a time, which is what we were, we went down to five. Instead of having all the kids running around at our feet, we got a babysitter to take care of them upstairs. Um, Instead of me running around putting things in bowls, right, and making sure everything was there, we got a college student to work the dinner for us. Instead of sitting together at the table, we split up. And if you watch us, you'll see that's the way we operate. And it's not because we don't love each other. It's not because we're not each other's first cheerleader, as she said. It's because we need to care for the people. And, you know, that was the difference between Martha and Mary. Martha cared for the stuff and the tasks, and Mary cared for the people. And we realized the people of Compass were way more important than if my bowls were full of guacamole and M&Ms at just the right height. (laughs) We wanted to walk out saying we had talked to every person who came by. So things like that. You've got to make wiser decisions. My mother used to always tell us growing up, people are more important than things. And the wise thing is to pick people over tasks and stuff. All right. Well, how are we going to get to be wise workers? I think we have to do it by adopting God's to-do list. And God's to-do list for women is found in Titus 2. Please go there with me. Titus 2. 
Titus 2, God's to-do list for women. Titus is a church planter, which is kind of cool because we're planting churches. I like that. He's a church planter that was left in Crete, and Paul's writing him a letter, and he's going to talk to him about women specifically. And in verse 3, he's going to talk about what he expects of women there. And the first verse, in verse 3, the first words are older women. Okay, now you might not think of yourself as older, and some of you are very young in this room, and I totally get that, but you're older than someone. (laughs) You're older than someone, so this applies to everybody in the room. Even if you're a high schooler, it applies to you. You're older than someone. You're older in the Lord or chronologically than someone. Okay, so we're supposed to be being this kind of example for those who are watching us, and every one of you is being watched by someone. Okay, here's what the older women are supposed to do. We're supposed to be reverent. That means we're supposed to be dignified and respectful. That applies to what you wear, what you say, and what you put on social media, ladies. It also says you're supposed to be not slanders. You're not supposed to be talking behind people's backs, whether it's your kids, grumbling about your kids, grumbling about your husband, your job, your boss, prayer requests that you share with others. You're not supposed to be slaves to much wine. This means we're not supposed to be controlled by anything but God. Not wine, not exercise, not food, not social media, not shopping, not sleep. Don't be controlled by anything else. Then it says these gals are supposed to teach those who are farther down the road from them what is good. We're supposed to train them to love their husbands and children in that order. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, diligently, I might add. To be kind and submissive to their own husbands so the word of God may not be reviled, which means to be looked down upon or trash-talked or disregarded by people who are watching us. This is the to-do list for women. Pick any one and get started on it, basically. That's where we can go with this. But if you are married, your first assignment is your husband. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the Bible says you're supposed to be his helpmate. Frankly, not the other way around. He will help you, but you're supposed to be his helpmate. Um, you're supposed to respect him, serve him, be affectionate with him. All those things are uh, outlined in scripture for you. Okay? And a whole lot of other things. But how do you do that? Well, I don't know. You better ask him. Which is funny that That was her application, too. You know we never talk, by the way, about what we're doing, so it's always funny to me how this all works out. But my assignment, my to-do here, is for you to ask your husband, and here's what you're supposed to ask him. What are the three most important things I can do to help you? And it's not just today. Hers was today, that's great. Mine is, you know, big blanket statements. Okay? I dare you. Go home and ask your husband, what three things can I do to help you? Now, these are things that you're going to keep doing. They're going to become a way of life for you. You'd be surprised that your top three are not his top three. I mean, I don't mean your top three. I mean what you think his top three will be, because they will not be what you think. You'll be surprised what he'll say. And your husband will say this totally different three than somebody else's husband. But your job is to care for your husband. So that means even if you have a hundred jobs to do and the world is crashing down around you, get those three things done. We can all do three things, right? You may not be able to please him in a hundred things, but you can always do three. No matter how crazy your life is, you can do three. So ask him. And here's the hard thing, though. If you ask him, (sighs) (laughs) 
If you ask him, you're no longer ignorant, right? <sighs> if you ask him, then uh, there is an expectation that you're actually going to do it. Yes, I know that. Do it, right? Okay, here's another problem. He might ask me to do things I don't want to do. <laughs> well, do them anyway. I mean, unless they're violating God's law, and that's very few of you in this room, and, you know, go talk to Stephanie or Stacy or counselor, me, whatever. We'll help you with that. But most of you aren't being asked to violate God's law on those three things, okay? And then doing those three things might mean that I don't have time to do what I want to do anymore. It's hard. Yep. But, as a woman, your first responsibility, if you're married, is to make him your number one human priority, even above yourself. We're working wiser here, remember? That's the category. Let's work wiser, so let's make his three things our three things. And you know, I have to tell you, when you do his three things and you do them well, you will find satisfaction. Okay, I'm not doing number 47, number 48, number 52, number 95. Okay, but I can do three things, and there is a piece that will come to your heart being able to do those things well. All right, if you have kids at home, Titus 2.4 says they're your next human priority. That means, in God's mind, your number one priority is not to feed them, clothe them, and educate them. Your number one priority for your kids is to shape an arrow. To shape an arrow by correcting and directing them by putting painful consequences in their way when they're making poor choices, and then by helping them to follow Christ so that when they leave your house someday, they're submitted to him. That's more important than the degree they leave with. You do realize that, right? All right, that's going to take a lot of intentional work on your part. There's a whole other list here. Self-controlled, pure. We, we have to, we're supposed to master all these things. Just pick one and go for it, right? That's what we're going to do in our, the, one of the questions on the quiet time today is pick one and go. go. Pick one, okay? You got enough to do there. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. There's another very important quality besides working diligently and working wisely with the Proverbs 31 woman, and it's found in verse 15. <sighs> It says, she rises while it is yet night. <laughs> and then it's coupled with verse 19, her lamp does not go out at night. <sighs> we need to work selflessly, ladies. Work selflessly. Selflessly. To be selfless is defined as having little or no concern for yourself. Having little or no concern for yourself. Now, I know P31 is talking about actual hours and minutes, um, and these are particularly precious hours and minutes in your day. Uh, those that are early in the morning or late at night seem to be the most precious hours of our day. Um, Yes, that's true. But this gal gives them up because she loves God and she loves people. I know that setting your alarm an hour earlier than you want to is tough. I know that staying up an hour later than you feel comfortable with is sometimes excruciating. But it all leads to one word, and the word is sacrifice. I mean, work is sacrifice. 
it's not going to be easy. And frankly, there's some of you right here, right now, that have turned me off and said, you just don't get it. I have to have my eight hours of sleep. It's just not physically possible for me to survive on less. <sighs> yes, it is. If Jesus asks you to, you can. Because he'll supply. Um, yes, it's amazing what your body finds when God changes things, whether through seasons of life or children or different situations with your family, you realize how much less you can live on than you thought you could. God supplies. Jesus never said that serving him was going to be convenient. It wasn't for him. What makes you think it's gonna be for you? Right? Selfless is putting other people and putting your God before you. I mean, we say it all the time at Compass Bible Church. We say, I will do anything, any place, anytime. Oh, wait! No, you don't mean that. <laughs> it's a mantra you could say in your sleep, right? Anything, any place, any time, but you never thought of it that way, did you? Anytime. Yeah. Well, it's not just about the hours and that we have early morning and late night. There's lots of other sacrifices she's going to make. So let's look at someone who did it. Uh, you might even remember this gal. We're going to turn to Esther. Esther is going to be our selfless example. Esther. Esther chapter 4. You recall from two years ago when we taught her story, that there was a nobleman named Haman, and Haman didn't like the fact that Mordecai the Jew would not bow down to him at the city gates, so he decided, I'm going to kill all the Jews in the whole empire. Overreact much? Haman? Yeah. He was a little weird, but anyway, he goes out and the king agrees to it. And so Mordecai goes to Esther, who is his cousin, that he has been raising during the time of captivity, when they're out of the nation of Israel at that time. And in Esther, um, we find out that Mordecai goes to Esther, who is now the queen, by the way, and is sequestered in the palace. I'm trying to give you a big, quick overview of the whole book. Um, he goes to her and he says, I need you to go to the king. I need you to go to the king, and I need you to beg for our lives. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 11, Esther says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. So she says, I can't do it. I, I, you, you can't go in to see the king without being called or you're going to off with your head. Okay. Down in verse 13, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. They're, they're going between messengers. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther tells them to gather the people to pray and fast, and they do. And after three days, in verse 16, she says, I will go to the king. Though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On that third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters where the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. 
And he asks her what she wants, and she proceeds to invite him to those banquets. And she ends up winning her people, their lives, because of her selflessness. She won their lives. Now, most of us are not going to be asked to give up our lives, but we're going to be asked to give up our days, our hours, um, even our conflicts, our preferences, to serve other people. What do we do to make selflessness our default mode? Well, I think the first thing is you've got to meet with God every day. You've got to meet with God every day. And um, that sounds so simple, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I know. She says this all the time. Okay, but if you want to learn about selflessness, the most important thing you can do is sit with the most selfless one there is, who knows more about giving up his rights than anybody else. You've got to meet with him, preferably before the day begins, before the laundry, the email, the kids, the phone calls all start crowding into that time because it will be stolen away from you. The God who chose us, who purchased us, wants to meet with us. That means no matter what, we should make that happen. We should make that happen. And frankly, for some of us, having a regular quiet time every day will be your greatest sacrifice. You pop out of bed like a shot when you hear a baby cry, and you run in to feed them. You get up and you make dozens of cookies for the bake sale. You go to that work thing with your husband, and you even teach at Awana. But you can't get up and have a quiet time every day what is wrong with us? He's asking for some time and he's done everything for us. This is your number one selfless thing to do every day. It's more important than that phone call. It's more important than that child. It's more important than any task you will do. So the most important selfless thing you can do is fight tooth and nail to get with God every single day. And yeah, it might mean that you have to put your alarm back and you might have to rise while it's dark. That's what it might take. <clears throat> it will be worth it. It is the most important hour of the 16-ish that you're conscious. Think about it. You're awake for 16-ish hours, and God's asking for, I mean, he's not asking even for one, but I mean, we, I think we could give him one, right? There's no verse that says you have to spend one, but if you don't know what to do, spend some time in DBR. Spend some time studying God's word. Spend some time praying. I call it 20, 20, 20. 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. We can do that every day. This is your first selfless assignment. While you're there, think through your schedule. Look through it. Pray through it. Am I choosing things today that will be for the good of others or myself? And am I open to him changing things? Because he inevitably will on certain days. That's part of being selfless too. These are all learning to make selflessness our default mode. Um, <clears throat> you're also going to need to actually do some things beyond have a quiet time. Um, and I'd like to encourage you to do some things for people even that are outside your home. A lot of what you do is for people in your home. But your responsibility as a Christian, you've been given a gift or an ability that God gave you to do good for the body of Christ. You need to start using it in our church. If you go to Compass Bible Church, you need a ministry post. If I was to ask everyone right now as a ministry post to raise their hand, I hope it would be everybody in this room. But I would guess it probably isn't. So the next selfless assignment you need to do is go find a ministry post. If you don't know what to do, start somewhere. You can always course correct later, but find something to do at the, at the church. Spend your time not just on your family and your career and yourself, but on the body of Christ. 
Um, it's what Jesus said we should do when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, 14. He said to them, he says, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so also you should wash other people's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. John 13, 14, and 15. We need to humbly serve people. That's what a bucket of selfless work looks like. But to be honest, being selfless means sometimes I don't get what I want, right? I mean, that's, that, they're laid out there. I don't get what I want. My family's been working on this with me for a very, very long time, and I wish I could tell you that I listened up. Um, but no. In my heart, I have been unable to relinquish what I believe to be the picture-perfect family vacation. <laughs> Because you see, I feel like it is my duty, it's my calling to the family everywhere we go to do loads of research and find all kinds of fun adventures to do while we're on vacation. And I know some of you are smiling because you are exactly like me. <laughs> now, I have gotten better over the years. I've edited myself to three or four cool things per city instead of pages of them. But you know, too much of a good thing is still too much of a good thing, and you can come back from vacation needing a vacation, right? Which is what the Fabarazes do, generally. We need a vacation from our vacation all the time. And uh, my kids give me a hard time about Cadillac Ranch. You can ask them about that. But um, they also talk with fondness about things like zip lining and double-decker bus tours around the world and things like uh, uh, the Tower of London and St. Louis Arch that, you know, if I hadn't been, you know, Miss Cruz director, we might not have gotten done. <laughs> but we do need to compromise, right? We need to give up and relinquish our agenda and listen to those around us. And I have to learn that, and you have to learn that. And I have to learn that loving others means I don't insist on my own way, as 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us, right? We need to work more selflessly. Well, that leaves us with only a few more words in Proverbs 31. A few more words from this amazing woman's work ethic. But it's something that has to permeate all the rest. It's found at the end of verse 13, and also all of verse 17. The end of verse 13, it says, she works with willing hands. Verse 17 says, she dresses herself with strength, and she makes her arms strong. From this, we realize that P31 teaches us to work enthusiastically. Work enthusiastically. Enthusiastically. A word you might have to look at a few times to spell correctly. That's what I found. Siri doesn't pick that one up so well. If you type that in your, it's not coming up. Trust me, four different words will come up for it instead of enthusiastically. But enthusiastically means with passion, with excitement, with zeal to use a biblical word. P31, she's out there, she's giving it her all, and she has joy in it. She works with willing hands. That means she works with delight. Wow. Woo. She is happy when she is productive. She doesn't shy away from work because she's energized by it. She has true pleasure from working. Verse 17 said she 
dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is a phrase you've actually heard before. It is the phrase to gird up your loins. I know Pastor Mike has taught you that before. It's when there was, they were wearing long robes and they took their robes and actually they pulled them up like this and they stuck them in their belt so that their two legs were free to run. That's what girding up your loins means. This is that same phrase here. Elijah did it. Um, if you remember, during right after the Mount Carmel with the Baal prophets, and he's praying for rain. It's been two and a half years since rain, and rain comes. He girds up his loins, and he runs down the hill. And remember, he miraculously outruns King Ahab in a chariot. He was girding up his loins. Well, that is the same thing here as she makes her arms strong. And what it means is rolling up your sleeves so that you are prepared to work right? You're ready to work. I didn't know I was going to have sleeves on today, but there it is. You're working unhindered. That's what rolling up your sleeves is all about. You're working unhindered. You're working enthusiastically. You're working with zeal. You're getting in there. I could think of no better example of enthusiasm than Rebecca. Rebecca, Genesis 24. Genesis 24. Turn there with me, if you would. Genesis 24. Abraham here realizes that he needs to find a wife for his son, Isaac. So he entrusts his faithful servant to go out and find a woman. And he wants this woman to come from his uh, own family, Abraham's own family. So he sends him to a faraway place where Abraham came from, and they go find, he goes to find a wife. This is the trusted servant. He gets there, this servant, with his ten camels when the day is ending. And they see the women walking to the well. And they, he sees the women watering all the animals that come to the well with them. And at this point, the servant turns to the Lord and prays. And he says, here's basically, here's how I will know who the right woman is. I'm going to ask her if she'll give me a drink. And she's going to offer to give a drink to all my camels. That's how I'm going to know who the woman is. Okay? And in Genesis 24, 15, it says, before he had finished speaking. Don't you just love that? How God just encourages us to pray specifically. He's praying that. And then it says, before he'd even finished speaking, behold, Rebecca shows up. And in verse 16, it says, this young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and she filled her jar and came up and then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Not only was she diligent, wise, selfless, but look how she does it. Look at verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. This gal is something else. Did you know that, the 30, that, that a thirsty camel can drink 30 liters of water in 15 minutes? Can you picture what 30 liters is? That's 15 two-liter bottles, or even 15 gallons. Imagine 15 gallons of milk up here. That's one camel. She's got 10 camels. And she's running quickly to do that for this man. She was kind. She worked hard. But the way she did it, to me, is almost more important than that she did it. The way she did it is more important to me than that she did it. Because she did it eagerly. As the story unfolds, we find out that she is the, she, 
He goes to the family and gets permission to take her as Isaac's wife. And the family, and I feel for them, the family says, can we have a few more days with her before you take her away? And she says, nope. And she immediately goes with the servant because the servant says, no, it's time to go. Which is just another evidence of her eagerness. She immediately leaves her family to go and do what, this work that God had for her to do. Wow. She worked with willing hands. She is an inspiration to me and to many of you, I know. I mean, we, we, got, we got some workhorses in this room. Workhorses that we can pile more and more and more on. And you know who they are because they end up working at every women's ministry event there is possible. There are workhorses here. And we just pile more and more on them because they're willing and their backs, they're like those, you know, pack mules and they just take more and more and more. The problem is I'm not sure that, and I'm not speaking for yourself, I'm speaking for this pack mule, I'm not sure that I'm always doing it with joy in my heart. Maybe you are. Praise the Lord for that. That is awesome. But sometimes I don't have that. Sometimes I'm more tempted to be like Eeyore than Winnie the Pooh when I have work to do. <laughs> I get tired, and I just want to complain sometimes. Shame on me. Shame on us. It's a privilege to serve the king. It's a privilege to do whatever else he has put on our backs. It is an honor to serve our king. The idea of girding up your loins is also found in the New Testament, as you know. Uh, one of the places is Luke 12, 35. Jesus says to his disciples, you don't have to go there, stay dressed for action. That's the image of rolling up your sleeves or girding up your loins. There it is. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes in and knocks. And verse 37 and 38 says that if you're waiting, he will end up rewarding you. If you're staying there waiting when he shows up, if you are ready and working when he shows up, if you're eager when he shows up, you will be rewarded. They were eager to serve. It wasn't just about their work. It's about their attitude when they worked. They're rewarded because of their attitude when they work. Some of us have to work a little bit harder at this, don't we? P31 was ready to work eagerly. Sometimes we're not so much. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Sadly, we can't say that every single day, can we? So maybe our first action step from this message on work and this point is for us to repent. We need to ask forgiveness for our begrudging attitude when the Lord asks us to do something. We're like, ah, oh, again. Why can't you ask so-and-so? I am the pack mule. Ask somebody else who isn't. Yeah? If we have point number one, we need to repent of our laziness. And point number two, we need to repent of our foolishness. And point number three, we need to repent of our selfishness. And this one, we need to repent of our bad attitude. It's an appropriate next step. But how do we get joy, right? Okay, I know I messed up. Okay, now what do I do? You've pummeled me. I'm on the ground. I'm weeping. Okay, how do we get some joy? Well, you got to remember who it is we're actually serving. I know it looks like your kid's sitting across the breakfast table from you, but it's not. you got to remember you're serving the Lord when you're doing this, when you're giving them food, when you're teaching them about God. Hopefully someday they're going to become a real Christian and God's going to get more glory. He's going to get more hours of work. He's going to get more obedience because of the investment you're making. That second grader that you're teaching in Kidsmen, they might go home because of what you said to them, and they might tell their parents, I took a cookie last week. I know I shouldn't have. Or your husband might have the energy he needs because of your investment in him to stay an extra hour at work to make sure it's excellent 
that presentation he's doing. Or your partner, she might be inspired to set her alarm an hour earlier tomorrow to do her quiet time because of you. You're getting to do something that has so much potential to do more by working. So remember who you're working for. It's not just the task in front of you. You're working for their obedience, their sanctification, for God to get more glory. That's what you're working towards, not just the thing in front of you. We're part of a bigger plan on earth, and there's joy in that. There's also joy in what we just I brought to your mind in Luke 12 that God is going to reward us for our eagerness, for attitude, and for our work if we are ready and waiting when he shows up, if we are working hard when he comes back. If you're prepping that kids' men lesson, if you're running to the dry cleaners, if you're cleaning up after having small groups in your home again, God is going to reward you for that. And there's joy in seeing that that's coming down the line at some point when he comes back. Some of us need a good night's sleep. Some of us need a meal. Some of us need a walk with a friend to get the 10,000 foot view well, steps too, but the 10,000 foot view <laughs> of our work. You know, sometimes the, your work looks completely different after you've slept. And you go, okay, I can do this again today. So sometimes you just need to take that little moment and you can get joy in your work again if you do that. Now, speaking of family vacations, one of the traditions that we started many, many years ago was doing puzzles on family vacations. We don't do it every single time, but we've done tons of puzzles. And you know the moment? The moment when you're so locked into the details of how does that blue fade into that black? How does that hole, that bump go into that hole? Which, by the way, I looked up on the internet. There is no words for those. Like, if I told you what the words the puzzle people tell you, those bumps and holes are, you'd be like, what in the world is that? It's like a foreign language, so I'm going to call them bumps and holes. But, you know, the bumps and holes, that the puzzles you put together, sometimes you can get so focused on those details, they forget what you're doing, and you can feel like quitting. And that's the reason you need the box top, right? Because the box top is where you're going. And you need to remember where you're going with your work, and you can have joy. If you're not so worried about, I mean, don't get so ingrained in the details of the puzzle pieces that you forget the big picture. The big picture is that God can use you. He can use you. There's joy in that. In Psalm 100 verse 2, it says we need to serve the Lord with gladness. So let's work enthusiastically. There was once a story of a mother who walked in on her six-year-old son and he was crying. What's wrong, honey? What, what happened? What's wrong with you? He's like, I just learned to tie my shoes. She's like, oh, well, that's great, honey. I'm so happy for you. You're so grown up. Look at you. Yay. Well, why would you be crying? So because, because now I know I'm going to have to do this every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's how I feel about work, right? It's just work, right? Well, I do hope that looking at Proverbs 31 would give you some dignity about your work as we learn to work diligently, wisely, selflessly, enthusiastically, and one day when Jesus comes back, what's going to be soon, relative to eternity, he's going to come back. My hope is that we can say with Jesus these very important words found in John 17, 4. I have glorified you, God, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Let's pray.
Dear God, I thank you for the dignity that comes from work. And I want to thank you that um, you have meaningful things for us to do. Everyone in this room has felt the joy in their heart of doing something and feeling like, I did a good thing. And um, God, we just need to figure out what are those things that we're supposed to be doing? And, and frankly, how are we supposed to be doing them? That's what this whole message is about. What are we supposed to be doing and how are we supposed to be doing them? And I, I pray, Lord, for my sisters here. I know a message like this is rugged. Trust me, I am a hard worker and this was rugged for me prepping it. God, uh, you made sure that my work was so hard for me this time. And I know you did things like that on purpose because you want us all to have compassion for one another and be able to link arms with one another. We all have different work to do. We all have different weighted backpacks, but we need to do it together and we need to be an encouragement to each other. And God, I do pray for my sisters here that they would pick one, two tiny little things that they can do to work for you better in the days that come. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.